What's wrong? I must inform you, you'll never be able to bear children. It's been six months already. You look like a ghost. Look at you. Why don't we go back to our town? No, that's out of the question. I had a wonderful childhood in this house, and our children will be happy here, too. Here we provide shelter and education to abandoned children. Here, please. They were abandoned at the gates of the convent. They are unique, special children. Lola, no, I know what you're thinking, and they are just too old and a bit strange. Hello, hello. These children need to be loved. Same as us, we need love. Let us be a family. <laughs> I want you to close your eyes. One, two, and three. Be gone, Satan. Children, is this another game? Teen and Tina are two beings, mischievous like all children. What if they're not simply innocent children who misinterpret the Bible? What if they're just the opposite? You can't just do whatever the Bible says you should. It's the word of God. The Bible is fantasy. Honey, that's not Jim. Cookie's not waking up. You mustn't lie to me. Lying is a sin. A mother should trust her children. That is the wrath of God. But you have to promise that no matter what happens, you won't get up from your chair. Do you promise? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How, how's it going? Greetings and salutations, adoptive parents. Mike, tell me something. Have you? Do you ever remember a month of May since we've been podcasting that's had this many motherhood horror films? This is in fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, that's a good observation. I can't think of it because we've, what, out of the past month like three of the four weeks <laughs> and now exactly going three out of the four weeks of may because <laughs> technically this is technically this is still our last may episode even though it's a little it's going to be a little late because of the holiday on monday you know the three of us had better stuff to do so but you know technically yeah three of the four episodes in may are mother motherhood horror and that's kind of surprising <laughs> if you wonder if there is like all these pandemic pregnancies and now we're getting a lot yeah, the result of those in like movies and TV shows about like the anxieties and all that That's stuff out. around it. But uh, yeah, um, all right. Also with us, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Okay, yeah. Uh, so this uh, week we are covering a movie on Netflix, and uh, it's called Tin and Tina. And yeah, I believe it's Spanish, right? Is it? Is it uh, Spain? Like three or four different. From Spain. Yeah, there's like three or four other countries, but I think Spain is probably the predominant one. Yeah, definitely Spanish language. This is countries of origin: Spain, United States, Romania. So that yeah, makes sense. Okay. Yeah, could have to do with like yeah, actual. It lists a bunch of about four different filming locations, so that's probably why there. And uh, let's see, our synopsis, after I scroll back up, after a, t- a tragic abort, <laughs> I'm assuming that's supposed to be abortion, but uh, Lola and her husband Adolfo adopt 
Tin and Tina, two lovely brother and sister with an ultra-Catholic education that makes them interpret holy Bi the Holy Bible verbatim. Yeah, someone didn't check the grammar on this. Uh, yeah, abort? This, uh, that wasn't an abort. Yeah, that's a and I did not pre-read it before reading it. That's why I kind of got caught up three times trying to read it. But yeah, so Tin and Tina, uh, it's on Netflix right now. So uh, you could always pause the show and go watch it or, or stick around either way. But let's get into our general thoughts on Tin and Tina Venom. Parisian, I'll kick it to you. What did you think? This movie is fucking long. This movie is exactly two hours long, and it feels like it's three hours long. I mean, there are some major pacing issues. Now, I understand that the director or filmmaker is going for, you know, tension and, you know, sustained tension and things like that. But I just, I don't know. I found this movie to be, and I hate to say it because it is a beautiful film. It's beautifully made, great filmmaking. Good performances from our four main actors, like no no major problems with it as far as that goes, as far as filmmaking. But once again, it's the same old story. It's storytelling that just kind of I lose my interest in this movie really fast. Like the movie just feels so derivative and just we're expecting so many things to happen that don't end up happening, which might be refreshing to some people, understand understandably. Um, but if you're going to call this a horror film, give me some horror. It's like I, I'm waiting for two hours for something visceral to happen. And, you know, I mean, you know, we get somebody set on fire. I, I mean, I guess that's pretty cool. And they're not even really set on fire, as we'll talk about in the spoiler section. But, yeah, you know, this movie, you know, I, again, Another motherhood story, which, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe I'm not the biggest fan of this subgenre of horror, because now this is the third one in a row that I've just felt really lackluster about. You know, I'm not going to say the movie is bad. I'm just going to say it's long. It's kind of dull at times. And I don't know, like you, you feel the one thing I'll give the movie is that the ending is not what you expect. But having said that. I hated the ending. I fucking hated the ending. So, you know, it, it's just going to be, it's going to be really hard for me to recommend this movie. You guys all know I'm Spanish. I love my Spanish horror. This movie is of course in Spanish. It's set in Spain in 1981. It, you know, it, it's kids getting adopted and, you know, obviously there's something wrong with the kids. So it's like, you know, it seems like something that would be right up my alley, but as I'm watching it, it's just so slow and so plodding and just you just want it to get somewhere. Just get somewhere, please. I beg you. <laughs> Literally, with a half hour left in the movie, I'm begging out loud by myself in my living room. Please just end. This is, you know, I don't want to say it was torturous necessarily, because as I've already said, it's not a bad film. It's just once I lose interest in a film, every movie feels like it's two plus hours. And unfortunately, I just kind of lost interest really early with this one. Once one particular event happens in the film, which, again, we'll talk about in the spoiler section, I start to lose interest. Once again, we get that wonderful horror trope that I can't fucking stand, the, the skeptical spouse 
doesn't believe the wife when he when she tells him that there's something wrong with the kids doesn't believe her when she says you know they did they did that thing on purpose that there was no misunderstanding there was no biblical misunderstanding blah 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 so yeah just an, another skeptical spouse which just pisses the piss out of me off i'm sorry i, I see i can't even put english words together i'm so upset right now Ultimately, this is a fine movie, and a lot of people are going to find this enjoyable. Like I said, it's got some good tension, really good performances. The score is fine. You know, it's, it's acceptable. Um, some decent editing. I will say the cinematography does shine in a lot of parts of this film. There's one shot in particular that I really, really liked where they show the kids sitting on the couch watching TV, but they're wearing masks backwards on their head. So the masks are staring back at us while they're watching TV and I, and the camera just slowly creeps towards them. I just thought it was a really nice shot. And there's a few shots like that in the film that look like they, you know, they were put together really, really well. But ultimately, this story did very little for me. I had very little sympathy for the parents. Um, I had very little care about the kids or what happened to them. And just, I, I don't know. I, I felt like there's no arc in this story whatsoever. I guess the mom does have an arc, but the kids kind of don't. They're, they're, they're odd at the beginning and they're odd at the end. And that's about it. <laughs> you know, and, and a bunch of stuff happens in between that makes them seem even odder. So overall, um, you know, a well-made film that, you know, should get these filmmakers some attention. But as far as the story goes, again, I found it lackluster and, you know, it's going to be hard for me to recommend this to horror fans. So that's all for me for general thoughts. Okay, I'll kick it over to Don. Uh, how are your general thoughts on Tin and Tina? Uh, not far off from Venom. Um, I'm kind of right there in the same boat. Uh, I, I think the, my biggest issue with this one, um, and there are several, is that it's really a stretch to call this horror. Um, I, I mean, the kids are kind of malevolent, but they're not vicious. I mean, you know, they're just... They, they spend the majority of the film just talking about, you know, the Bible this, the Bible that, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, I mean, for one, that automatically lowers my interest because I don't believe in this stuff. So, yeah, the the majority of that kind of just takes me out of that just immediately. But it doesn't really introduce any kind of level of presence into what's going on. I mean, they're not killing people for the sake of religion. They're not, do, you know, kidnapping animals and torturing them or sacrificing them because they think they're able to, you know, they're doing the right thing and saving them. But because of what they're doing, it makes them seem uh, vicious and evil. It just really, it, like Venom said, it goes more for tension rather than outright horror. And I, I, I thought it was treaded better in uh, there's something wrong with the children that we did earlier this year. But even that was kind of, you know, a lackluster film, but even that was better than this. Um, but yeah, I, I think the big issue with this one, uh, more so than just, you know, the lack of horror is just, it's two hours and it feels it. I mean, this is slow burn central. Uh, there, There's no reason for this kind of material to be two hours. Uh, I, I mean, you know, we, there's something wrong with the children did this kind of similar story in, in what was that like 95 minutes 
Mm-hmm. Or somewhere around there, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, hour and a half, barely. Yeah, just like barely over if it was. But mm-hmm. yeah, that one was kind of, that one was a lot better in treating this kind of material because the pacing to that one was just way, way more engaging. And yeah, um, I, I really felt Venom's, um, the critique of, of him in this one, it was like, the reason this lasts as long is the stupidity of the parents, and I, uh, that that father just, you know, the dad just utterly pissed me off. I mean, yeah, I I, I mean he explained it better. Just you know the the disbelieving skeptical spouse just, ugh. I mean I, I was hoping for him to be set on fire and follow the the other guy, but. Yeah, I, I think there's way more there, there's way more flaws in this one than there should be. Um, I, I mean, the material is fine. The you know the idea of the the kids being off simply because of their religion and the you know fervent you know the the ferventness that they use to exact its teachings would have been a, a fine way to go about it, but. I mean, unless they're like possessed by some kind of a demon or entity or something, I mean, it, it really isn't that interesting. It's just way too long, and then you topple all of that off by being as long as it is, simply because the the skeptical nature of the adults and their stupidity just it it, it, it kind of undoes all the good stuff. Because I mean, the the first half to this isn't bad. I, the, the the whole setup in how the family comes together, how, you know, we get to see the kids interacting with them the first few times where we don't really know what their intentions are and all of their actions just, it, it seems like they're well-intentioned, but you don't really know the true um, evilness behind it. I, I think there's a lot there that works and it kind of does bring you into it kind of well, but then it just drags on and drags on and drags on and only drags on because of how stupid and idiotic everybody is. It, yeah, it's really hard to care about this thing once you get to the hour and a half mark. I mean, you're just hoping and praying that this ends and somebody wisens up and realizes what's happening, but it just drags on for another half hour. So, yeah, um, I, I mean, you know, it looks good, you know, no matters are solid I guess if that matters to you but yeah uh, I, I mean you know the, the phrase it feels two hours is uh, definitely there for this one and uh, you're going to probably be you know pissed off at what goes on and how idiotic the people are more so than you're going to be terrified so not one for me I can see it being more so for others that look past those issues but I, I think it's going to be kind of hard too because it's just so prominent in in your face about it so yeah this one was kind of a miss for me so um yeah i guess that's uh pretty much all on my end because I'm, I'm trying to look over what i have and uh i don't have anything else that's new i mean other than what he said so you know that's that's all on my end all right so speaking of movie or are people this movie is for i thought it was going to be me after the first hacked but then it, nothing much happens. I, I think that's my issue. Much like you guys said, it really feels um, as long as the running time says, if not longer. Uh, I also agree with the the trope of the spouse that just 
doesn't believe, doesn't listen. And not only that, but they even added the extra wrinkle of like, oh, the spouse have a skeptical skeptical of bringing the kids home in the first place does like a 180. And as soon as the wife shows any concern, now it's like, now he's mad and he's like, no, you have to, (laughs) like, it's all in your head when, wait a minute, I thought you were the one that was skeptical of the situation in the first place. So shouldn't you be like maybe more sympathetic or trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is going on. But no, it was just too quick of a swap for me uh, to find believable. And, I mean, the only other thing I can really add, I mean, I I did like the kind of religious angle at the beginning, or like to begin with as to like set the table for the story. But it just, I felt like it didn't go many places. It just kind of was uneventful. And then the ending, like, if you're going to do a slow burn, that slow developing where you don't get much during the story, you bet and the ending. And I don't know, it just felt like a nothing burger ending to me. Not much to be interested in, not much of like any type of twist or reveal or just like satisfying ending. It actually kind of ended a little predictable uh, for how I thought the story was going. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a tough one to sit through. For two hours there's just not the justification for it to be that long there's i can i think of like plenty of stuff that could have been cut that did little to nothing to progress the story forward or that was like needed to get to the ending um there's not it's not like a, a slow burn type where like there's all these things you have to pay attention to in order to like get the ending or you know feel satisfied with the ending there just wasn't a whole lot going on i mean if anything you know the, the kids themselves or the actors that played them, I think they did a fine job. I think they definitely did come off creepy. Uh, if you've seen like Village of the Dam or Children of the Dam, they kind of go for that look. So they did succeed in making the children creepy, but that's not exactly hard to do. I mean, most children <laughs> horror movies, the children are creepy. Uh, that's, that's not the most difficult thing to make happen. Um, but the problem is in this movie, it's not enough to carry a two hour running time because eventually you just stop being creeped out by them. And you're just kind of like, OK, like, what is this going to amount to? And not not much, not much that you're not expecting, I would say, at least um, there is a scene with an animal. That's kind of like tough when you see something on screen. But even that is just like it's set up in such a way that, you know, exactly what you're about to see. Um what else yeah i mean not not much actually else to say it's just it was just kind of a dull story to me despite being despite liking the setup in the first act for the most part i thought you know at the back about the half hour 45 minute mark i was like okay we got something to work with here and it just never really uh panned out for me so i'm kind of right along with you guys it's just disappointing too because um I was hoping for more with this, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, not too much good things to report about it. So uh, that's it for general thoughts for me. So Venom, back to you. I mean, I I was reading some reviews after I watched the movie and a lot of people were talking about how this could be an unreliable narrator situation where we're watching the movie through the eyes of Lola, the mom, 
And since she sees these kids as kind of creepy and potentially dangerous to her unborn child, uh, that that's how they're portrayed on screen. So I don't know. It, it, it's really hard because if you're going to con- if the filmmakers are trying to convince me that everything that happened in the first hour and a half of the film was real and actually happened, I don't see how there's any fucking confusion whatsoever about, you know, what what's up with these kids and you know, where they're they're trying to get to. I mean, I I will say, you know, Mike said the ending was kind of predictable. I'm I'm going to say the opposite. I, I predicted a completely different ending, a, a much more generic, you know, adopted crazy kids uh, type ending. Um, you know, maybe something a little bit more along the lines of like Orphan, like one of the Orphan movies or something. Like that's kind of what I was expecting. And instead they give us just... Uh, an ending that's I don't I like I don't know if that's supposed to be a feel good ending or, you know, if once again, it's just unreliable narrator or if these kids really are evil and this was their plan the whole time. You know, I'm obviously I'm not going to talk about the ending yet, but, uh, you know, so it, it's up it's up to interpretation of the viewer. And my interpretation is I, I don't even want to really think about it. Like, I didn't like the movie enough to want to use the brain power to think uh, to interpret this ending, you know, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, again, even though we're all three of us saying some negative stuff about the movie, it's not a terrible movie. It's just, it's a little too long for this story. This story does not need two hours. I understand that they're trying to drag out the tension and, you know, drag out the, Ooh, what's going to happen, you know, type vibe of the whole thing. But it's like, but then you get an ending. That's not a payoff. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love my slow burns, but I need a payoff. There, there's a reason. There's got to be a reason why I watch this slow ass movie. You know, um, I, I always use St. Maud as the same example, uh, you know, much to Don's chagrin, because I know how he feels about it. But um, if you guys remember, Mike and I both adore St. Maud. And St. Maud, at least St. Maud is only 85 minutes. And it gets to the story, it tells the story it needs to tell, and then it gets to that spectacular fucking ending that, you know, leaves very little to interpretation. And it, it just and it ended up being our number one film of 2021, uh, as it came out in the States in 2021, most of the rest of the world in 2020. But yeah, this movie is not St. Maud. It's not like we watch an hour and a half of slow burn and then get this octane-fueled ending. No, my friends, it's the complete opposite. And just when you think the shit is about to, it's finally about to hit the fan and there's shit going on in the house and, you know, somebody has been hurt badly... It just fizzles out. It just fucking fizzles out. And mom just wakes up the next morning in a hospital and we, you know, we get the ending that we get. And it's like, ah, yeah, that does not satisfy the two hours that I wasted watching this movie. You know what I mean? I I, I shouldn't say wasted. It wasn't a complete waste. It's just like I said, I hate watching movies that are this long. And then when you get to the end of it, it's like, why did I watch this? (laughs) Obviously, as a podcaster, we know why we watched it, but. I felt the same way with Bo is Afraid. At the end of that three-plus-hour Ari Aster fucking pipe dream, I'm sitting in my theater seat like, why the fuck did I sit here for this long for that? And and you guys know I love Ari Aster's first two movies. I mean, they're, they're literal fucking masterpieces. But Bo is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. People who saw the movie know what the fuck I'm talking about. And people who haven't seen the movie, I would say don't. <laughs> but, again... Um, 
you know, Ari Aster has his fans, so you know he's going to get eyes and he's going to get eyes on his movies. Anyway, back to Tin and Tina. You're going to give me a slow burn with a slow ending with no real satisfaction. Uh, it just irks the shit out of me. So yeah, I, you know, I'm going to end up walking away from the film thinking negatively of it, which is too bad because again, it's not a bad film. It's just a little too slow for this material. It's a little too long. And I don't know, I'd like to speak to the person who's actually satisfied with this ending. Like, I can't, I don't, I don't see how this ending would satisfy horror fans. I don't see how it would satisfy thriller fans. I don't see how it would satisfy drama fans. But if it does, someone please hit me up and tell me you love that ending and why. Because I can't understand the choices that they made. And then with the ending that we got, it's almost like the filmmakers are trying to make us, the viewer, think that we're wrong. That, oh, no, no, the kids are innocent. Oh, they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, ah, really? I mean, I, I watched the movie with my two fucking eyes. I know what you presented to me. If you're telling me that everything in this movie is a misunderstanding, I'm going to look you in the face and tell you your movie's fucking stupid. Uh, I'm sorry, I hate to do that, because I am no filmmaker. I have never made a film. I have no idea how hard it is. And I and I don't like shitting on people's art, no matter how bad it is. And this, uh, again, this movie isn't bad, but I would still question the decision of this ending. That's all. It's, it's going to be something I'm going to be thinking about for a couple of days. And then after I'm done thinking about it, I will never think of this movie again, because it's just not memorable. It's not anything that you're going to remember. It's not anything that's going to stand the test of time. It's just going to be another Spanish, you know, family horror film that maybe, you know, just didn't hit the marks that a lot of horror fans are looking for. And the movie's called A Horror Mystery. So, I mean, fucking horror is the first word in there. And, and like Don said, where other than the implied horror, where was the actual horror? <laughs> you know, I, there's very, very little in the film. So, yeah, um, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, if you guys have anything else before we jump into this uh, spoiler section. Uh, I was just going to add that. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with the general sentiment. It's not like a terrible movie. I just no. think it's the kind of the. When I call it dull, I think the dullness enhanced because of the two-hour running time, where it doesn't feel like we need a lot of this. To me, there's just a lot of downtime in the movie, where not much is happening in between a few things um, that I can point to that were like genuinely creepy. Um, to me, there's not much progression in the characters because we get the the husband kind of does the 180 flip relatively early on in the film. And from that point on, the characters mainly stay in the same state of being throughout the rest of the movie. So there's just not a lot to go on. Um, there's not a lot to keep me really engaged. And then just, I guess the ending, I don't know. Maybe I was, I didn't explain, right. It's maybe predictable is the wrong word. I just thought it was like, kind of lackluster the way it ended just i mean i figured something similar might happen um and it was just, i don't know everything felt a lot of the things that happened felt like the state the standard kind of things that would happen in a creepy kids get adopted movie so yeah, it didn't really feel like it did much outside the box of what you would expect in this subgenre yeah definitely i'll leave it at that for general thoughts yeah 
All right, then let's go ahead and jump into our walkthrough. So this is your final spoiler warning, folks. If you have not seen Tin and Tina, I'm not going to tell you to go see it but, and come back. But uh, I st I'll say uh, listen to the first bit of our walkthrough and you decide if it's something that you want to invest two hours with. Uh, it, you know, who knows? I mean, hopefully I do it justice. So, all right, here we go. So our movie opens at a wedding. Um, we see uh, Lola and Adolfo getting married. Um, Lola is a little pregnant. You see a little baby bump there on the belly. Nothing major. It's not like she's nine months pregnant by any stretch, but just a, a small little baby bump. Um, she, you know, they go through the wedding. You know, he kisses the bride. The, uh, the service is over. They go outside of the church where everyone, you know, throws rice. Or at least they used to. The movie, by the way, is set in Spain, 1981. So no cell phones, no Internet. Um, so, it, you know, it's going to be a fairly basic story. Um, and basically what happens is after Lola and Adolfo walk out of the church, all of their guests are there throwing rice at them, but then suddenly they all stop and they have a, a look of shock on their face. Uh, Adolfo doesn't know what's going on, but then he turns to see, to look at Lola, and Lola has a blood stain, um, you know, at her lower midsection, you know, her, her uh, crotch area, if you will. And uh, after that, we go to the hospital and we find out that Lola had a miscarriage and that there was complications with the miscarriage and that she will never have children again. She's told this by a female doctor in the hospital. Uh, of course, Lola goes into a depression, um, basically doesn't leave the house, starts to look as white as a ghost, big bags under her eyes, just in general, looking terrible. Unfortunately, Adolfo can't really be with her all the time to comfort her because it turns out he's an airline pilot. So he's, you know, he's flying around all over the country. Apparently, he's got a, he flies a route between Spain and China because China is mentioned multiple times in the film. Um, so they decide to adopt and they decide to go to a monastery uh, that doubles as an orphanage uh, that's very close to them. Uh, just a few miles away, they end up going there with the intention of adopting two children because, as it turns out, Lola was pregnant with twins. They had already started the uh, nursery in their house, and you see two cribs there, so they already had plans for two babies. So they decide, let's go adopt a couple of babies. They go to the orphanage to look at some of the kids that they have. They get the tour from, you know, the head, the mother superior there at the at the orphanage slash nunnery and then mom kind of wanders off you know mom's not back to normal at this point you know she's still incredibly depressed incredibly down but then she hears this music this pipe organ music coming from the cathedral she goes ahead and walks into the cathedral and just listens to the music just kind of sits there staring at the altar listening to the music eventually the mother superior comes in lets her know oh it's heavenly music, don't you think? And I can't believe that the people playing it are seven and nine years old. And she's like, wait a minute, kids are playing this? And then that's when we are introduced to Teen and Tina, uh, two uh, very pale, almost albino. They're not quite albino. They're just, they're, they got that Swedish look where they're, they have that very blonde hair and very pale skin. Uh, but they don't have the bloodshot eyes. So they're, you know, they're not true albinos necessarily. Um, they don't look Spanish. I mean, that that hit me right away. I'm looking at these two kids like these are Spanish kids. I mean, we don't get much about their background, just that they were dropped off at this uh, orphanage when they were uh, what? 
I think they said when they were four years old. So I guess they are Spanish. It's just the kind of Spanish I've never fucking seen, but that's cool. Um, so anyway, uh, mom, Lola, comes up with the idea of adopting these two instead of babies. She convinces the dad that, you know, these two are older and they're probably not going to get as much attention as the younger kids at the orphanage. Dad is instantly skeptical. He looks at he just looks at the kids and can tell that there's something wrong with him. He, he calls them strange and at this point, I'm right on board with dad. It's like dad kind of can see what's going on here, that these two kids, I mean, just their smile. When they're first introduced to Lola and Adolfo and their smile is just, it's, it's like, no, no, stop it. Don't smile anymore. Never, ever smile again. Just you're one of those. And combined with the very pale skin and the very light colored hair, it's, it, it, it is, it, it, admittedly, it's very creepy. So I'll, I'll give him credit for that. So they end up taking Adolfo and, um, excuse me, Lola and Adolfo end up taking Teen and Tina. And yes, that is a real name, by the way. Teen is a real name. I have an uncle named Teen. Uh, Tio Teen in Spanish is what I used to call him. So, uh, yeah, it's a real name. I know it's a weird one. And in the movie, they actually say that they're not Spanish names. Tina may not be, but like I said, Teen, Dean absolutely is. I, I know multiple guys named Dean, but, uh, you know, that's a story for another show. So uh, Lola and Adolfo bring Tank, Dean and Tina home. Um, instantly, the dog doesn't like them. The dog that they've had for however long, we, we never get an actual uh, amount of time, but the dog that, you know, Lola's had for a while instantly doesn't like the kids, is barking, and I'm I'm screaming at the TV, well, that's it. If my dog doesn't trust them, I trust my dog way more than I trust a fucking human being. And But nope, they ignore the dog. They just tie the dog up in the yard. Um, and then just end up, you know, going in the house, they get the tour of the house, blah, blah, blah. Um, the kids are seen, you know, sitting down for dinner. The parents who are not religious start eating right away. The kids are kind of just frozen there. And then they say, oh, it, we, we, we haven't said grace. Is someone going to say grace? Uh, dad, of course, relents and says, okay, let's say grace. He says grace. And then they start to eat. They have seemingly a fairly normal night until later that evening um, with the dog in the house. They're basically, I forget exactly what the kids did, but they were reprimanding the kids for something. I think it was just for like jumping on their bed or something stupid. Um, they're, they're reprimanding the kids and the dog is basically has to be held back by Lola. The dog is barking and growling and just trying to get out of Lola's hand, almost like he wants to attack these two kids. And after a while, the dog finally gets sick of his collar being tugged on and he actually bites Lola's hand and pretty badly, too. I mean, he draws blood. There's there's a good amount of blood there from a dog bite. I've been bitten by a dog. I've never seen that much blood before. So that had to be a pretty good dog bite. And then we kind of get the uh, what I call the Child's Play remake scenario where these kids just like Buddy in the Child's Play remake, he wants to do the right thing for his owner. He wants to protect his owner, and he wants to do the right thing. So these kids, in their infinite wisdom, decide that they are going to, quote-unquote, bless the dog. They're going to bless his soul so that he's no longer angry and that he no longer attacks Lola, who is basically you know, the focus of their, of these kids affection right now. Much more than dad, it seems like mom is kind of who they're, 
um, kind of gravitating towards more and more. What ends up happening is these fucking kids, and thankfully, I will give the I will give the filmmakers credit. Thankfully, they don't force me to watch a dog get butchered because I'd turn this fucking movie off instantly if, if it was just gratuitous violence against an animal. But instead, what we see is the kids and the dog are hidden behind the couch, and all we see is uh, the same couch from that shot I mentioned earlier, you know, with the kids wearing their masks backwards. But this time, instead of the kids sitting on the couch and the TV on, the TV's off, the lights are off, and you see the kids pull out a bunch of knives from the kitchen, like literally a collection of knives, and they actually take time deciding which one is the best knife. They end up going with the butcher knife, you know, Michael Myers' favorite. And then you just hear the sound effects, the, the stabbing sound effects and the slicing sound effects and the disemboweling sound effects because they're very obviously pulling something out. What I think they did is I think they pulled out the dog's heart and then tried to bless it because you, you hear the kids um, say a prayer um, after like after you all the. After all the cutting and slicing sound effects stop, we hear the kids say a prayer. Then they put the dog back together. Mind you, again, we're not seeing any of this. We're only hearing it, thankfully. They put the dog back together. They sew it up. And then they're surprised when the dog doesn't wake up and is suddenly good. Uh, the next morning, the kids, still covered in the dog's blood, go to their parents' bedroom to wake them up. Uh, to Lola and Adolfo's bedroom, I should say. And uh, Lola thinks that they were just playing with some strawberry jam because we had like a little bit of a food fight scene earlier. And dad instantly is like, nah, that's not jam. Um, they go downstairs and then we see the aftermath. And yeah, you can see that the kids split the dog open up the middle, you know, up through his torso and then sewed him back up. So you don't see any like actual doggy body parts lying around. They actually did a pretty good job getting out everything back in the dog and sewing him up. But they literally act genuinely surprised that the dog that they killed the dog. Like as soon as the dad says, yeah, yeah I think you killed the dog. They reacted like they started to cry. And I'm, I'm like, wait, what? Like, like what part of the Bible tells you that you can pull out organs from a creature and bless it and then put it back in the body? That's that's a no part of the Bible I know. Yeah, I don't know so, exactly the thinking behind that. I was a little confused. Yeah. Um, obviously the kids are confused, you know, they, they were hoping to make the dog less aggressive and so that it wouldn't attack mom or them. Um, you know, it, it, this is up to interpretation. If you think the kids are evil, they're probably evil. If you think the kids are just stupid and overly indoctrinated in religion, then that could be the case too. But I found yeah, it funny I was, because, uh-huh. I, I was trying to figure out at this point, if they're still trying to play that, like, if we're supposed to, if we're supposed to be halfway thinking, okay, they're legit evil versus they're just idiotic because of the way they were taught, you know, um, because I was like, what lesson did they learn that they would think that that was a valid way to cleanse? Is because you would think, oh, I'm cleansing someone, it'd be like some type of prayer or something, not like doing what they did. Exactly. Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, 
so anyway, I, what's funny is that as I'm watching that scene, I'm thinking this would never fly in an American household. If you killed an American couple's dog who's been with them forever, those kids are back at the orphanage the same fucking day. But for some reason, in Spain, 1981, and mom did have a visceral reaction to the dog. I mean, she falls to her knees. She hugs the dog. She's crying, screaming. It's like, I don't understand how they decide to keep the kids afterwards. And, and of course, it's the husband. The husband is like, oh, oh, you know, he's trying to defend them. Just like Mike said, he was the one who was skeptical at first. But now he flips on a dime and he's like, oh, oh, I'm sure it was a misunderstanding, something they read in the Bible that they, you know, just did incorrectly, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what a piece of shit this guy is. Like already 40 minutes into a two hour movie, I already fucking hate him. And so that's that. They decide to keep the kids and no big deal. Um, later on in the film, Lola discovers that she is pregnant and why is she pregnant? Or at least why are the filmmakers implying that she's pregnant? Because Tin and Tina supposedly can talk to God. That's what they claim or Jesus. Maybe they say Jesus in the, in the movie, but they claim to be able to speak to somebody, something ethereal. And the way that they do it is they fucking suffocate themselves to the brink of death. Literally, Lola will take a pillowcase or a plastic bag, put it over, uh, not Lola, excuse me, Tina will take a plastic bag and put it over Teen's head and literally hold it over his head like she's trying to suffocate him until right before the brink of him passing out. And then she releases the bag and Teen claims he can see God or he can see Jesus and that they ask for favors. And the favor that they asked during this scene was, you know, for Lola to get pregnant. You know, they, he kind of points at her womb while he's supposedly looking at Jesus. Um, I mean, these kids do such a good job of uh, brainwashing these parents that Lola actually tries it later in the film. We'll get to that. But, yeah, I, I found that almost funny. She ends up. Um, so, like I said, she is now pregnant. Um, and then these kids start talking about crazy stories in the, uh, in the Bible. Um, there's actually some really good foreshadowing in this movie early on in the film during a dinner scene, the kids are seen giving the dad a gift of a crown of thorns, you know, very much like Jesus's crown. They even say in the film that it's, it's Jesus crown. Um, and if I don't know how many religious people are listening right now, but what happened to Jesus right after he got the crown of thorns? He was fucking crucified. And I, I just I found like instantly I'm expecting, oh, boy, is dad going to get crucified or something crazy like that? Because it just seemed like like really, really heavy foreshadowing. But then when you actually see what happens, um, it's it's almost poignant, almost, mind you. All right. So, like I said, Lola is pregnant. Um, you know, Adolfo still flying, you know, gallivanting around the world, back and forth to China. In one scene, he brings back some of those spinning discs from China for the kids. And they incessantly listen to the song that um, kind of like the theme song for the for the spinning plates. And oh, my God, it was so grating by like the third time I heard the song. I wanted to tear my ears off. But uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> um, at one point, Lola does go back to the orphanage and asks the mother superior if the kids ever had any problems with violence uh, with the other kids or anyone else. 
and the mother superior instantly is like, no, no, Tin and, Tin and Tina are absolute angels. Like, they, they've never done anything wrong. I mean, they're naughty, but no more naughty than any other kid that she's ever seen. She says all kids are naughty, you know, when given the opportunity. But for the most part, they're good kids who care about, you know, Jesus and the Bible and everything else. Um, Lola kind of implies that there might be something wrong with them. And the mother superior actually gets defensive and she quotes the Bible, you know, talking about a good shepherd watching its flock and knowing that the sheep are good because you are a good shepherd, blah, blah, blah. Of course, covering her own ass saying that, oh, the kids are fine. And then she literally tells Lola, the problem must be you. Like, which, I mean, that's, that's a crazy assumption to make, but again, it's a religious person, holier than thou, literally in this case. So, yeah. And Lola obviously gets defensive, ends up leaving, very upset with this woman, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, suddenly it's Christmas. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, the scene changes and it's suddenly Christmas. Like, obviously time passes in this movie, but they don't give us any kind of, you know, a a month later or two months later or whatever. It's just, it's like, Oh, suddenly it's Christmas. And then you blink and it's new year's <laughs> just really crazy. Um, and it was on new year's that mom passes out that Lola passes out. And that's when they find out that she's pregnant, blah, blah, blah. Now, when Tin and Tina were talk were telling these Bible stories, um, you know, throughout different scenes in the film, one of the things they talk about is how Mary gave birth to a child knowing that it was going to be killed for the sins of, you know, the people. And it almost seems like the kids are implying that they're going to go after their brother and kill him for the sakes of everyone else in the world, you know, which that's kind of what they're implying. At least that's what I got out of it. Cause the kids are being really cryptic, really creepy when they're talking about their unborn brother. At one point they even look at mom and go, Oh, wouldn't it be a shame if he died before he was even born? That would be terrible. Like, literally, they say that in the movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so now, obviously, mom is also scared for the kids, um, uh, for her kid, not the kids, for, for her real child, you know, in her womb. Adolfo then has to go on again. He has to go to work. He has to fly to China, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be gone overnight. And um, Lola goes to sleep, um, hoping that Adolfo would be home the next morning when she woke up. Instead, she wakes up and she's tied to the bed. Goodnight mommy style, if you will. And at, and at first I thought that's where they were going, that they were going down the goodnight mommy route. And I, I actually rolled my eyes once thinking, no, don't do that. We already got goodnight mommy and a terrible remake. We don't need you doing it now. Thankfully, that's not the direction they went in. But it is still very fucked up because um, we see the kid putting some kind – we see um, – Tina, the girl, grabbing a glass of milk, which mom is seen throughout the film drinking uh, milk. Um, they bring mom a glass of milk and we see uh, Tina put some kind of powder in it. Now, what's funny is that in an earlier scene, we see Tina accidentally put poison in a, in a cup of coffee or she was about to. She didn't actually do it. And mom is like, no, 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 that's not the sugar. That's poison. And then she gets the sugar container and it looks fucking exactly the same. <laughs> what manufacturer is this that's making poison and sugar and putting them in the same type of container? That's fucking nuts. <laughs> but yeah, there it is. <laughs> Obviously foreshadowing for later in the film. Keep that in your uh, memory banks for a bit. Um, 
Oh, actually, you don't have to because we're going to talk about it right now. Uh, basically, with mom tied up on the bed, the kids are seen putting some kind of powder from that container in the milk. Unfortunately, like I said, the containers look so similar. You're not 100% sure if they're putting sugar in it or poison. Who puts sugar in their milk, though? I mean, well, I, I guess it's a thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and, and this is with mom tied up in bed. They end up bringing her breakfast in bed with this tainted milk um, that they claim just has sugar in it. Uh, mom obviously refuses to drink. Um, Atina tries to get her to drink, puts the glass up to her lips, tips the glass. Mom is sealing her lips. Absolutely positively is not going to drink whatever's in this glass. And then Tina's like, well, you know, we have to get it to our brother somehow. And that's when the fucking uh, kid, Tin, pulls out a syringe and he, he sticks the syringe in the glass of milk, sucks it up, uh, fills the syringe with milk and literally is about to fucking stab her womb and put this milk in there. I'm pretty sure this isn't just sugar milk. I mean, again, what would give the idea that to these kids that it's okay to puncture the womb with a syringe, you know, that, that for the benefit of the child. Again, it seems pretty obvious these kids are fucked up. Um, mom ends up getting um, untied. She ends, I mean, she's only tied to the bed by garland, literally Christmas tree garland. And I'm thinking that shit is not that thick. An average strength human should be able to just snap that. No problem. Finally, just as teen is about to insert the syringe into her womb, she's able to get free and she gets out of the situation, blah, blah, blah. blah. And, um, you know, uh, basically that moment she goes into labor. Her water breaks just as Adolfo is coming back home. Uh, basically, when Adolfo does finally come back home, everything I talked about has already happened. And mom is in the kitchen with a knife defending herself against the kids. The kids aren't attacking or anything. It's just she's, you know, preparing, basically. Um, but then Adolfo walks in and, of course, accuses her of chasing the kids throughout the house with a knife. Fucking asshole. Um, and instantly defends the kids, blah, blah, blah. So again, um, you know, we, uh, like I said, her water broke and she gave birth to the child. So, you know, a few days go by, no major incidents with the kid happens until one day by the pool. Um, right after the baby was born, uh, the kids, uh, Tin and Tina, obviously wanted the baby to be baptized. They're very religious. They say, you know, if he's not baptized, you know, he'll um, whatever, go to hell when he dies or whatever the exact wording they gave is. Uh, he'll, he'll die in limbo, I think, was the exact wording. Um, and then dad, I don't even know where dad gets these giant fucking balls, but he's like, well, maybe we should baptize the kid. And, she, and Lola's like, no, we're not religious. Why would we baptize this child just to appease these two? And then dad out of nowhere says, well, let's take a vote and the majority will win. And I'm thinking, you fucking piece of shit. You're just making the decision for her because, you know, the kids want her to get want the baby baptized. And then, of course, dad votes for the baby to be baptized. And instantly dad's like, well, that's it. It's settled. Uh, it, you know, the baby's going to be baptized. I'm, I'm just like, I, I can't hate this guy any fucking more than I hate him at this goddamn point. And again, it's 1981 in Spain, you know, 
gender relations are what they were at that time. You know, the men worked, the women stayed home with the babies, blah, blah, blah. Not nearly as much as the 50s and 60s, but obviously it still did occur a lot in the early 80s. So, um, so anyway, after a few days of the baby being home, uh, Lola basically never, ever leaves the baby's side, basically is just always with it because she's terrified that, you know, those two kids are going to try to do something. Well, one day the kids are out, watch, uh, they're, they're at the pool, they're playing in the pool, swimming. Dad is in the yard watching um, Spain play Germany in the World Cup. Uh, well, no, it's 1981, so it can't be the World Cup. So it's probably a qualifier of some kind. Anyway, um, they decide, oh, let's go ahead and baptize the baby in our pool. Because apparently the concept of holy water has escaped these two kids that have written the, or excuse me, that have read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. Yet they seem to think that chlorinated pool water is acceptable to baptize a child. Uh, they end up taking the baby while mom is in the chicken coop gathering fucking eggs. The whole time I'm screaming at her like, you, you've been so worried about these two kids doing harm to your child. And now you're going to leave it alone. And I literally mean alone. She left the baby alone in the house because everybody else was outside to then go to the chicken coop and get eggs. And of course, the kids, while mom is in the chicken coop, they grab the baby and they decide they're going to baptize the baby themselves. Yeah, I think you know where this is going. Um, they grab the Bible or, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. They grab their Bible because they broke into a chest where mom had locked their Bible away after mom was sick of all their religious bullshit. And um, so they grab their, ba their Bible, they grab the baby, and they go to the pool, and they sit by the edge of the pool. Basically, Tin, a fucking seven-year-old boy, is holding the baby up by its legs above the pool and waiting for Tina to finish a prayer. She's reading a prayer from Genesis Book 1 uh, or something, right, right near the beginning of the Bible. And finally, when she's done reading her passage, she looks at her brother and gives a nod. The brother dips the baby in the water so that its head is completely underwater, but doesn't pull him out right away. Literally is just holding him there underwater. And he's like, should I pull him out now? And Tina's like, no, no, we want him to be really, really blessed. Ah, just fuck. <laughs> so finally, mom comes out of the chicken coop sees a baby's foot sticking out of the pool and runs to the pool, grabs the baby from the kids. The baby's not fucking breathing. The baby is just laying there. Finally, she's patting it on the back, you know, smacking it on the back, trying to, you know, dislodge any water that might be in there. Finally, the baby does cough and the baby's fine. He's alive. But of course, mom just goes ballistic on the kids. What are you doing Blah, blah, blah. Finally, the kids are like, oh, we, we wanted to do it for our brother and, you know, to save his soul. Mom slaps Tina in the face to shut her up. Then Tin chimes in to try to say something and she slaps Tin in the face. And literally, dad, this is when dad finally turns around. Mind you, dad is like 10 feet away. It's not like he's like on another part of the house. He's literally 10 feet away from the pool while all this is happening. But he's so enthralled with Germany kicking Spain's ass that... You know, he's not thinking about the kids at the pool. So 
Um, mom instantly goes off on dad too. What the fuck is wrong with you? How are you going to, how is this going to happen? Feet, literally a few feet away from you. Dad is obviously embarrassed. Um, he ends up grabbing their Bible and setting it on fire. He pours lighter fluid on it and sets it on fire, which of course the kids go crazy. How can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And the very next scene, we see Lola and Adolfo returning the kids to the, um, to the, uh, the, the orphanage, monastery, whatever you want to go with. And basically we see them driving away. We see Lola and Adolfo driving away from the orphanage. Um, Tin and Tina are in the background with Mother Superior and Lola's holding her baby. So it seems like everything, you know, might be back to normal. Cool. That night, um, Adolfo's, you know, doing his normal, getting drunk, watching TV in the living room. And then Lola kind of walks in and she's not wearing her wedding band. She's holding it in her hand. She sits down next to Adolfo and she doesn't look at Adolfo once. She just looks down at her hand as she's holding and fiddling with the ring, with the, her wedding band. Adolfo sees this instantly and he's like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? You're not actually thinking about doing that. I mean, literally. And then he starts going with the everything I've done for you shit. You know, I've given you a home. I've given you food and clothing. I've given you a son. And this is how you repay me, of course. You know, every male douchebag's defense. Um, but then he gets on his knees. He seems, you know, legitimate this time. He's apologizing. He's telling her, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I, I will change. I will definitely change. Um, this is right after they had a kind of nasty confrontation publicly in a restaurant where the baby was crying and mom was eating her cake and didn't want to have to deal with the kid at that exact moment. Dad, Adolfo, is yelling at Lola, why don't you comfort the child? And then she does exactly what any mother should, looks right back at Adolfo and says, why don't you comfort your child? Why do I have to do it? And then instantly Adolfo's like, no, no, you know you're better at that than I am. You're the one who provides comfort, you know? Dads don't do that is kind of what he's fucking implying. Finally, she finishes her cake and then grabs the child and comforts him and, you know, kind of settles him down because he was crying the whole time, making a scene in the restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Again, just more reason to hate Adolfo. Um, so after he apologizes and he decides I'm going to go to bed, I'm really tired, we see Lola take the ring and actually put it back on her finger. And she even cracks a little smile like, OK, I got my husband back. You know, everything should be back to normal. But then suddenly Lola notices that the front door is open, like completely open, not not even like latched, like just open. And she closes it and locks it. And basically, uh, Adolfo goes upstairs to go to bed. She hears him kind of walk across the floor uh, from downstairs, and, and then you don't hear his footsteps anymore. It's quiet for a few minutes, and then suddenly the TV goes out. And, and this is, like I said, this is 1981 in Spain, so they're dealing with an antenna on the roof. Um, apparently, what happened is when the TV went out, Dad must have been watching TV upstairs or something because he knew it went out because he decides to go outside onto the roof in the middle of a fucking storm, mind you, a torrential drain, excuse me, rainstorm, a torrential rainstorm, and tries to go up to the roof to fix the antenna. Um, 
what ends up happening is Lola is calling out to her to Adolfo and he's not answering. So instantly she's like, oh, shit, there's something wrong. The reason he's not answering is because he's outside on the roof. And she goes upstairs to try to find, you know, because she doesn't hear the baby crying anymore either. So then she goes upstairs and the baby's not in her crib. And instantly she's like the children. Like instantly she's, you know, suspicious of the children. Because don't forget, I mentioned earlier that they live, what what is it, like six kilometers away from um, the orphanage, um, which is only like a few miles, you know, in, in American miles, like like four, four and a half miles, something like that. Something that, you know, most kids could probably walk. You know, they have they have boundless energy anyway. So, like I said, instantly Lola thinks, oh, shit, the kids are back. So, you know, she's looking, she goes upstairs, she's looking around the house, she can't find Adolfo. Then, like I said, she looks in the crib and she can't find the baby and she's flipping out. She's running around the house. Suddenly she goes outside to to get Adolfo and she she goes outside and she looks up and he's on fucking fire. He's literally up on the roof with the antenna and he's lit on fire, like literally just up like hereditary uh, style. Um, He ends up rather than staying out in the rain, like a halfway intelligent person and letting the rain put the fire out. He crawls into his house like a moron and literally sets his entire house on fire while he, of course, dies um, from his injuries. He finally falls And then as soon as he falls, the living room is just engulfed in flame. At that moment, Lola again goes up and she's she's actually calling out to the children now at this point. She's calling out to them, thinking that they're there in the house. She finally ends up going back to one of the other rooms in the house that she didn't look in the first time. And she finds the baby in his bassinet, but on the floor, like not on the bed, but on the side of the bed on the floor. Instantly, she thinks, oh, shit. And I think the viewers also at the same time think, oh, shit, the kids are fucking with her. They're going to pop out of somewhere somehow. But what ends up happening is, no, she ends up um, getting the baby out of the house. It looks like she's got some major smoke inhalation because she's just breathing in smoke for that entire. And mind you, um, I forgot to mention, too, that mom has one fake leg. Um, she has a prosthetic leg. Um, I, I believe it's her right leg is a prosthetic. So mom obviously doesn't walk as well as, you know, a, a person with two normal legs. And so she's, you know, trying to get out of the house. She's kind of limping around. Um, the house is filled with smoke, so she can't even really see. Finally, she gets outside and she passes out. She literally, she gets the baby out of the house. She gets herself out of the house. She gets out to the front yard and then she passes out completely, just out cold. And we're thinking as the viewer, oh shit, here come the kids. Well, what ends up happening? The scene fades to black. And when the scene fades back up, we're in the hospital. It's the next morning and we're in the hospital. Uh, We see Lola in the hospital bed and uh, we see one of the doctors come in And she asks him, or no, not one of the doctors, the mother superior, actually, from the orphanage, comes to visit her and says, I spoke to the police and I found out what happened. And it's so tragic. You know, obviously, as horror movie viewers, we're all thinking, oh, the kids probably lied to the authorities, blah, blah, blah. But as it turns out, 
And again, take all of this with a grain of salt. As it turns out, when dad was on, up on the roof trying to fix the antenna in a rainstorm, he was struck by lightning. We don't see this, obviously. We see the after effect when dad is already on fire and crawling back into the house. Um, so that's what they're claiming. They're claiming that dad was struck by lightning. He crawls back into the house, sets the entire house on fire. The, the house burns down, but Lola and the baby are fine. The mother superior lets her know, no, the baby's fine. And then Lola starts going, wait, the children were innocent? And the mother superior is like, yes, as they've always been. They've always been just innocent children. And you kind of see Lola's face, you know, starts out with confusion. But then as she keeps repeating, the children were innocent, the children were innocent. It's almost like her demeanor is slightly changing as she's laying there in the hospital bed. Then the scene fades out again. The scene fades up. And now we're at Adolfo's funeral. Adolfo's being buried. We see Lola in the background holding uh, the baby carriage that has her baby in it. And she's standing there by herself. As the camera starts to pan towards her, we hear Teen's voice say, Mommy. And then he comes out and he's got a little tuxedo on, you know, because he's at a funeral. He's got a little black suit on. And, you know, and Lola seems happy to see him like, oh, you know, they've, they obviously came there together is basically what I'm saying. And then Tina comes into the frame and then we see Tin and Tina standing in front of her mother and their brother, their adoptive brother. And mommy just mom, I forget exactly what her exact words were, but something along the lines of, you know, thank God um, that we were all able to survive that fire, something along those lines. And then uh, our movie just kind of fades out and that's it. That's our fucking ending. After everything that mom went through, getting her dog killed, her getting tied up and almost poisoned, her almost dying in a fire that may have been started by lightning or may have been started by the kids. Again, it's up to your interpretation. But the point is, mom drank the Kool-Aid, and now mom is a religious person. Because the movie ends with um, the priest presiding over the funeral, ending his prayer. We see Tin and Tina say amen, and then mom lifts up her head and says amen. And then we see Tina put the rosary back on her head that she had gifted to her mom earlier in the film. But mom, you know, obviously isn't going to wear rosary everywhere. So there you go, folks. It's like I said, the movie's up for interpretation. Did mom drink the Kool-Aid? Is she now a religious person who's going to actually take care of these children as her own? Were the kids evil the whole time? And this was their plan to get rid of dad so that mom would be theirs and theirs only? I've heard two or three other different interpretations of the ending as well. They're all just as valid, um, but none of them are satisfying, unfortunately, to me. After, you know, after going through this solid two-hour movie and then to get to the most lackluster ending potentially of 2023, it's a disappointment. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, they almost partly kind of went for like the Rosemary's Baby ending of like, okay, she go ahead with the motherly duties even though she has quotes about kids yeah. um but yeah it was, i would have been okay with that I, kind of ending mm -hmm. yeah i mean uh like if, yeah like if i don't know like if the kids would have 
turned out to be evil, like legitimately evil, and mom just accepted the fact that they're evil, but she wants to raise them because now she doesn't have a husband. I can accept that, mm-hmm. but that doesn't that doesn't really seem like what they're implying here. Um, I like I said, I don't know what they're implying. It's up to the viewers' interpretation. You know, I I just tend to think that mom was so traumatized from everything that happened that when she heard the mother superior say that the kids were innocent, it kind of just rung in her head like, oh, shit, I was wrong the entire time. And it's like, did you forget about your dog? Did you forget about your husband? Did you forget about the fact that they tied you to a bed and tried to poison your unborn child? Like all of this just, you know, like I said. The, mu- the movie plays it off as biblical misinterpretations or misunderstandings, as Dad puts it. Yeah, I, I don't like again. I don't know where in the Bible it says you can remove organs and then put them back in the body and the body is going to be fine. But uh, you know, whatever. That's what the that's what these kids interpreted as a way to save their dog's soul, as they put it. And yeah, Dad drank the Kool-Aid way, way early, but Mom, Mom went overboard by the end because even, I mean, like I said, even her wearing the rosary and saying Amen at the end of the prayer, you know, kind of a major thing, major character shift for her. <sighs> what else we got? Uh, <laughs> that boogeyman's probably our next episode. Damn right! Finally. I'm re- I'm ready for a jump filled terrible haunted house movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready for just something loud and in my face and at least I'll get that going yeah. to the theater whether it's any good or not. I mean it, I don't know how yeah. much you've even seen since you don't watch trailers but it, it no. it's like your kind of typical like tropey haunted movie but that doesn't mean it's bad just uh but I am glad to get back to the theater. It seems like this has been one of the bigger stretches between theatrical releases. <laughs> I mean, I still go to the theater. You... Obviously, I, I watch anything. I'll watch almost anything in the theater. You know, since I got that AMC A-list pass, I just... And with my wife working nights and weekends, yeah, I just... I go see anything. <laughs> so I still yeah. movies, but just not to watch any horror. <laughs> true, true. Um, but I don't know, Don. You got anything before we close out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I tried to pop in like maybe a couple of times, but I, I think you guys pretty much covered what I was going to say without getting to me. So I, I think I'm pretty much good on this one. All right, then. Well, uh, let's go around and find out what else uh, is out for our team. So, uh, Venom, what do you got? All right, so No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts Episode 17 is available now, as I mentioned on the last episode. We take a look at 2016's The Monster with our special guest, David Garrett. And um, unfortunately, the Crystal Lake Gift Shop Episode 4 had to be delayed. Uh, Obviously, with this past weekend being a holiday weekend and maybe some of us not anticipating how busy we were going to be that ended up getting pushed back. So hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll still get episode four of the crystal Lake gift shop out Uh, on the main show episode. What is it? 53 is our latest episode. And those are my picks where we went ahead and took a look at rather than taking a look at a couple of horror films, we look at a couple of docudramas about horror films or at least horror film directors 
So, of course, we look at the obvious choice of 2000 Shadow of the Vampire. But then I also threw in 1996's Gods and Monsters, starring Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, um, in a story about the final days of the life of James Whale, the director of uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. I ended up liking the movie a lot more than I thought I would. But so go ahead and check out that episode, along with all the other segments that we do on the show. And I think that's about it. I don't have any guest spots to speak of. Um, I got a couple coming up, but I'll hold off until those become a reality. So that's it for me. All right, Don, how about you? Yeah, um, as mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts is available. Uh, We should actually have a new one recorded sooner rather than later, which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, My usual spiel with the guest spots uh, recorded that are unavailable yet with uh, Stew World Order with um, uh, Red 2 and uh, Road to Nowhere with a triple bill of Fulci films. I did have a... uh, fun little guest spot uh, with uh, some friends of mine. Um, I actually figured out what it was this time. It's called Paranormal, the New Normal. Um, We did a uh, massive shark movie brackets, which was a lot of fun because apparently nobody on that film, nobody on that uh, podcast actually saw the films. So uh, Ah. we actually... um, Well, there's a a thing that kind of, um, we're trying to make it go viral, but I don't know what, uh, I don't know if it's going to get there, but... um, there's a thing where we were discussing um, Shark Attack 3 Megalodon, and uh, it was going up against some other movie, and I, I don't re- really remember what. And when they went to my turn, I I tried to say that quote from uh, Shark Attack 3, and it kind of ended up triggering people because they didn't know what I was talking about. And so I, I had to reassure them that it was a legitimate quote from the movie. Um, <laughs> it, if you've seen the film, you know what it is, and uh, I'm not about to repeat it again for those that are uh, unfamiliar with it. But um, if you haven't seen uh, Shark Attack 3 Megalodon and you want to know what it is, watch it and you'll find out. It's uh, pretty hard to miss. But uh, yeah, the the reactions I got when I said that were um, pretty obvious that I was the only one that actually took it seriously. So um, yeah, that that one should be available. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's The show is called Paranormal, The New Normal. So if you search for it and you find Shark Brackets, um, that should be me. Um, uh, Still waiting on a recording that I said I was supposed to have done almost a month ago. Um, I'm I'm waiting on the recording dates. Um, I know what it is. But um, it's a recording on DVD infatuation where I'm supposed to just look at six random films of films. we were we agreed to do the show a month ago, and I haven't had a chance to record it yet, so I don't know when that's going to happen, but uh, hopefully we get that sooner rather than later. And lastly, the latest episode of uh, the Horror Countdown. I actually don't remember what the latest episode is because we're um, recording this uh, we're recording this later than usual, so I don't remember what the latest one is. So give me one second here to look it up. And it seems that the episode is Top Ten Werewolves. So, um, yeah, um, I, I think you'll probably be able to guess what my top five is. I think you'll probably be able to have a little bit of contention with the bottom five. So that one was a fun time. That one is a 
available now. So uh, go ahead and give that a listen. But I think that's everything on my end, finally. All right. Uh, yeah, all I have to report is that yeah, Morrowind Hell 53 is currently out. Gods and Monsters and Shadow of the Vampire, Venomous Picks. Great show, fun time. That's available. And then I did a guest spot on Slumber Party Massacre where we talked about movies that, I guess, franchise entries that jumped the shark. So, what? There were discussed like damn near six, seven movies in total. Uh, and we had, it, it seemed like we had varying parameters for what constitutes jump the shark. But uh, I believe that episode's not up yet, but uh, it's coming. So check that show. Check the other episodes out, I guess, in the meantime. It's a, it's a fun show. Um, and that's it uh, for me. So as far as Fresh Cuts goes, yeah, the next episode, I kind of already mentioned it. It's going to be Boogeyman or The Boogeyman opens this week. Actually, we're recording Fresh Cuts a little later this week, so I think it actually opened tonight for the early screening folks out there. But uh, I I believe our next episode will record more early in the week next yeah. uh, episode. So look for that. And other than that, I think that's it, guys, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm, I, like I said, I think that's everything on my end. So. All right. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back in less than a week's time, most likely, for our next episode. So until then, catch you later. Let's say bye to the listeners. Later. Never adopt pale children. That just seems wrong. Yeah, has there ever been pale children that weren't scary or worse <laughs> in a horror movie? I think not. <laughs>